Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. No time for chit chat, Tyler. Yeah, it's been two weeks. We got a lot, a lot of, and we got a hard out. So yeah. let's uh, talk. Let's talk about the movies that we've watched. Okay. I saw a movie that I had been dreading, and appropriately so, as it turns out. Okay. Because it's uh, dreadful. Okay. It's called Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Ah. And it's everything I feared it would be. Okay. Well, now uh, I have to watch that screen you gave me. It is, um, it's what, oh, just overly pleased with itself. And there is no motivation to most of the choices made either in a screenplay, editing, cinematography standpoint, no, no motivation other than to call attention to itself Booth. and prove that it's clever. Uh, and, it, it couldn't it, it was impossible you know it is a movie about a person dying of cancer it was impossible yeah. to feel like i cry i'm an easy cry at movies yeah you are there's but there's nothing here like there's no way into this emotionally i had no no reaction along those lines so, at all it's so interesting the movie did get not terrible reviews there are people that it would appear fell for it but i mean there are movies yeah some of this might be just personal taste because there is a certain strain of movie mm-hmm. which is like uh well washed out color palette usually uh young white star yeah it's it, like like short term 12 you know or like i haven't seen or like 50 50 like these yeah. are movies that have that do have good reputations that just do not speak to me. I think of them as the Ben folds five of movies because that's, I, I am not a fan whatsoever of Ben folds five and I do, I could be, this is obviously a huge generalization, but I feel like people who like Ben folds five tend to like these kinds of movies. That's just, again, that's not, it's not a judgment. It's just saying, (laughs) That's a whole milieu that doesn't work for me. Oh, boy. That's fun. I would like to see, yeah, I would like to see an overlap, a Venn diagram of people who like Ben Folds 5 in Short Term 12. It is unfortunate because we've... <laughs> hey, that's fun. Yeah. Um, syllabically, the whole deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. You threw me with that Ben Folds thing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a film that looked... You know what? I didn't even care that much about... Oh, now, now I remember what I was going to say. Um you mentioned like young and white and that sort uh-huh. of thing. I've got a, I've got a version that is not white for you. It is that movie dope that I saw and that I, I, there are parts that are really good, but yeah, but based on your description of it, I feel like it would belong in this category. I think it belongs yeah, very I don't, much in this category. So I, I might not, um, but I guess just the fact that it's, this kind of movie, but not about a white kid is enough to make me a little bit interested. It's, it's a bit you know of what I mean? breath of fresh air because it's still, it's still made by, you know, a black filmmaker. And so it's like, okay, so we're at least going to get a glimpse into a culture that's different than mine. And then it's just tonally, it's like, Oh no, it it's just feels exa- like it's exactly all the these other movies. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then I also saw a documentary called song of Lahore, which okay. is uh, more interesting that, you know, sometimes a documentary is just, well, that's interesting, yeah. but it's a very much to this human interest type of documentary. It's about uh, these Pakistani musicians um, and music is in Pakistan is not a, that from the way the movie makes it look, not that celebrated a thing in daily life because starting in the 1970s and um, the uh, influx of 
you know, uh, fun, fundamental is Islam and music not being like out and out banned the way it is under like the Taliban, but still it, it sort of, it's this, these people are practicing things that are passed down from their fathers and grandfathers, right. these musical tra- traditions, but that don't have, aren't appreciated that much in the day to day life in Pakistan. Uh, but they have this sort of, um, these studios, the center where the, that's all soundproofed where they can go and they record and to call some attention to themselves. They started making using traditional Pakistani instruments covering sort of, um, jazz standards or just famous jazz songs and posting and cutting together videos of them and posting them on YouTube. And they became a big hit, such a big hit that they were actually, uh, a few of them were actually flown to New York to perform at Lincoln center with Wynton Marsalis and his jazz ensemble. That's fun. And so that like the first half of the movie is sort of about their history. And that's more, that's sort of like, I mean, I feel, you know, it's tragic that these people are like, are this dying way of life in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> it looked like you were pointing at something. No, I'm um, just uh, flexing the old fingers there. Um, yeah, I know. Hey, you got to do that sometimes. Just work them out. Stretch, stretch. Um, like like Danny in, in The Shining. Um, that's all he was doing. Uh, just working out the old finger muscles. Uh, anyway, the, so the first part is it's very, you know, sobering, and but it's kind of dry. The second part, once they actually, once which becomes all about the preparation for uh, the concert is actually, uh, that's, a, that's more fun. It's more interesting because it feels like a movie in the sense that there's a, or it feels like a narrative movie in the sense that like, there's, there's this final thing. They have to be ready in time for the concert. And it's, you know, it's two different kinds of musicians, you know, the Pakistanis and the yeah. American jazz, uh, music and things don't go smoothly in early rehearsals. And so it, it actually does sort of pick up a nice pace, but it's overall, it's something that's more, uh, you know, not of the head. Well, well done for making that movie. I don't know that I would necessarily okay. recommend it. It's more of a, just like, Oh, well that's a, throughout your description. I was like, Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of, thing. yeah, very much. Okay. So I saw now I should, uh, real quick. Oh, okay. we're going to toss to you, but I'm going to say right now that, um, I'm not going to talk about any of the stuff that I saw at AFI fest right. for that. You want to, if you want to hear me, hear me talk about Chevalier Mustang, a monster with a thousand heads, youth, son of Saul or Macbeth and others tune into the main episode this week. Indeed. Okay. All right. Uh, so I saw Sam Mendy's specter. Yeah. I rushed out to it. I think two weeks ago, uh, when it, it was it, or was it one week ago? I don't remember. It was two weeks ago. It was two weeks ago. Um, saw uh, an 1130 PM show at a, like a very empty theater. Um, and yet still the noisy people managed to sit by me, but it was fine. Cause I, cause I could go and sit elsewhere. But, um, so there's a lot of good in that movie technically as one would assume mm-hmm. Sam Mendes is, is turning out to be a really interesting, uh, action director. Um, and probably the best part of it is the opening sequence, which takes place during, uh, you know, the day of the dead, uh, uh a screening of day of the dead. Um, <laughs> right. but it's during celebrations and In stuff. And City, it's, right? Yeah. And he's got that skull mask and a really That's awesome cool. skeleton, yeah. uh, like suit that like the kind of skeleton suit that only James Bond would wear. <laughs> like he probably had it tailored. Right. And so, um, and uh, by the way, it led me to, uh, I, I want to do He's an got episode. a bespoke unitard. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So it did lead that the sequence also led me to, I don't know if we've ever did if we've ever done a specific episode devoted to this long takes Uh when they work and when they don't. Now I'm in the minority when it comes to the long takes in, um, Oh my gosh. Children of men. Uh huh. They don't work for me. Oh, okay. The long take in, um, true detective did not work for me. The long take in touch of evil works for me. The okay. long take inspector worked for me and I'm trying to, f- I, I'm, I, yeah, we I've should been, definitely talk about I've been this. trying to puzzle out why, why one works and why does it. Well, let's one put doesn't. a pin in so and that's save another it for an episode. Cause that's a good idea. Um, I'm put it, I'm going to write it down because yeah, we, tend I feel like say, that's a, we tend to say we should do episodes when we forget. So I'm actually going to put it in my little file again. Here. Yeah. Cause as I was watching, I was like, man, this is really working for me. It's like, Tyler, what's the difference between this and the children? What's your problem? why do you, why do you, why are you enjoying this? And I couldn't, and I was working on it and obviously I can't talk about it here cause we'll be doing an episode about it, but right. it, it's, it's worth a discussion anyway. Um, so that works. There is a very good torture scene, which is to say, Oh, it got me. It got me. Okay. It's now you've not seen casino Royale, right? No, I have not. That also has a pretty good torture scene. Uh, but this one is particularly tough. Uh, you there's say also good, you mean well hor- done, but Oh, horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then uh, Dave Batista is, you know, a henchman who's kind of nondescript in his, you know, gimmick because he doesn't really have one except being huge and being Dave Batista. And there's a really awesome fight on a train that is just no holds barred, just, you know, bare knuckle. And it's really tough. And you really feel like, oh, wow, James Bond is on the ropes. Um it, he makes it okay. <laughs> How's he going to get out of this? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I do think, uh, and then Christoph Waltz, uh, you know, after they spent a long time talking about how, oh no, he's this character. It does turn out that yes, he's a con. That's a, that's a joke that I made on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but he's, he's really good. Although I honestly, I've not seen quantum Solace. I've heard it's the worst of the, of the bunch. And I'm sure I probably would not like it very much, but I think Skyfall is still the best of these Daniel Craig Bond movies with Casino Royale being a very, very close second. And then Spectre being, I'd say a distant third. Like there's story wise, you know, he's dealing with for the first time, he knows exactly what he's dealing with, which is this giant uh, organization that spans the globe. And he deals with it pretty handily. (laughs) And I feel like it should be, I feel like it should almost be empire strikes back ish in that I like, I want, if any movie could have him lose at the end, it should be this one. And then he gets, you know, and then he strikes back at Spectre right. in the next movie. So there's a lot. Oh, I mean, from what I'm reading, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a next Daniel Craig Bond movie. Um, it doesn't seem like he uh, has any interest. Yeah, maybe not. They certainly they certainly ended it with a lot of finality, which kind of bummed me out because I, I like what he does as James Bond. I like... I like the general tone because I feel like if they re- if they cast somebody else, they would probably want to just change up the tone. Yeah, and I like this tone, and so. But see, I always like when an actor leaves a franchise like this because it means there's more chance he'll be in movies that I'll actually see. Oh, sure, absolutely. <laughs> what is what's yeah? What's Daniel Craig been in like over the last few? I'm sure he's been in notable things, but I, I mean, can't uh, think of any. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was at this point like it was like four years four ago. four years ago. Yeah. Yeah, he must have been in something else since then that I'm just drawing a blank. Probably. On. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure these movies are time consuming, but yeah. yeah. So, I, like, out of out of like a five star, I'd give it probably like three and a half. It's not t- it's not terrible, and there's are moments that are incredibly effective, but for the most part, it's it's only fine. 
Okay. Um, I have, uh, I, I rewatched a movie that I'd been eager to rewatch from this, not an old movie, a movie from this past year called Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh, all right. Uh, and I, I still really like this movie and I think, um, rewatching it gave me even more fuel for liking it. Mm Mm-hmm. And for not necessarily agreeing with some of other people's objections to it. Obviously, some people have objections that are, you know, perfectly valid. It just, it worked for me. It didn't work for them. Or the things that didn't work for them don't mean as much to me. But the, what would you say is the number one complaint people make about Age of Ultron? Um, I mean, I know a lot of people have a problem with the plot and then a lot of people think it's overstuffed, like too many people, too many characters trying to develop, uh, specifically Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch trying to develop them. Oh, okay. Um, um, yeah, that's, I don't know. I've heard, I've heard different, um, objections. What's yours? Wow. I mean, what, what, what what have you heard primarily? The last like movie movie Daniel Craig made that wasn't a Bond movie was Cowboys and Aliens. What? Which was... Oh no! It actually might have been the girl with the dragon tattoo because they were both 2011. Okay, yeah. And I think girl with the dragon tattoo came out in the fall, and Cowboys and Aliens was a summer movie, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think so. girl with the dragon tattoo, I guess, is the last. Wow. Okay. You know what? In. Yeah, he's got to get away from that franchise. Um, makes more girl with the dragon tattoo movies. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'd say one of the most common complaints I'd heard about Avengers: Age of Ultron is something something you hear about a. a com- you hear these complaints about a lot of Marvel properties, which is that too much time is given over to the MCU in general and oh. servicing other things. Yes, and I that think, is a, a thing that does bother me f- but, in certain movies, not necessarily this one. Yeah, in in this one, I can see the parts like, okay, you know, the scene Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans arguing while chopping wood is very much setting up some yeah. of the things that go on in Civil War and... um Thor's like spirit journey thing is setting up what's going to happen in Ragnarok. Right. But they also pertain to what's going on in the movie at the time. Right. That's something that I think, you know, you kind of outsmart yourself. If you know, like if you know where civil war is going, where Ragnarok's going, then you see how it plays in beforehand and forget to just be in the moment and see that, yeah, what they're saying might set up civil war, but they're also reacting to the moral quandary at the center of the film. Or, you know, uh, from a plot standpoint, Thor's spirit journey helps him realize that the, um, that Loki's scepter has a, an infinity, whatever. Yeah. What have you? Yeah. An infinity thing <laughs> in it, in which he needs to go then make create, help create vision. Well, and, like, and so it all, it, it's all there for a reason. And Andy Serkis's character is a lot of fun in this movie mm-hmm. and even if he was only self-contained to this movie he would still be a lot of fun but he's being set up to be the villain in the black panther movie yeah he's now i didn't even like, know that until after i saw the film i just thought hey this is a fun character i'm sure he's in the marvel universe somewhere but uh, and also andy circus is on screen in age of ultron for maybe three minutes it's not a big part if you cut i mean like the the scene in in uh wakanda or whatever yeah. um is longer than three minutes but him actually sure. on screen yeah not not it, very long he's not he makes so he makes an impact video. so it could just be like hey look at this fun cameo and yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah it's um and I, I will say the other thing is if there were if there were any movie in the marvel cinematic universe that i'm okay with incorporating larger elements it's the avengers movies not necessarily captain america not an iron man movie but like 
this is the one where things come together and right. then start other things. And right, I feel sense. like, yeah. so I, I'm okay with it. But uh, apart from that, I just like the movie a lot, and a lot, a lot of it is for Joss Whedon-y reasons. Yeah. Um, uh, I, not just that I like his his brand of banter, but I tend to agree with him both um, politically and philosophically. So, mm-hmm. you know, when when Captain America says that what it, like every time someone tries to stop a war before it starts, people, innocent people die or something. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I like that obviously cause yeah. I uh, tend to agree with that. But also what I found is and I had kind of forgot, I had forgotten the exact line, uh, at the very end, um, in the last sort of discussion between vision and Ultron, yeah. and Ultron says about humanity, they're doomed and vision vision says, Yes, but a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. Yeah, I find that really powerful. Everything Vision is great in that movie. I like it's a. There is an addition that nobody complains about. Paul Bettany gets right. the character. It's a good design. He's written well. Okay, and well, the, and the scene where he like picks up the yeah, you know is a really it's funny, but it's also really effective. Um, okay, uh, next for you. Next for me. And by the way, and, by, and uh, I just remembered a, another movie. Okay, um, the you do two at the end, I guess. Whatever. Sure. Um, that's we don't need to talk about. Um, by the way, we'll be talking about Paul Bettany more in a little bit. Watch out. Uh, and Wimbledon, I, here we go. I also said, yeah, <laughs> I already watched Wimbledon. I liked Wimbledon, <laughs> by the way. Um, I And then, okay, the other thing I saw, uh, this won't take long, I saw a documentary called He Named Me Malala, which is a documentary I was very much looking forward to seeing because I find Malala Yousafzai to be, or Yousafzai, um, to be one of the most, you know this story? This is I the, don't. This is the um, uh, Pakistani girl who was... Um, shot by the Taliban oh, for speaking oh, yes, out and absolutely. saying that, 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 that girls should be educated. Yes. I've seen interviews um, with her. She's very inspirational. Yeah. I mean, cause she was shot in the head and then came back and spoke out more. Like she's yeah. like, we, you know, the word inspirational can be sort of a bromide or a platitude or whatever, but she is literally an inspirational figure. And I think, uh, I, I am, I am so moved and inspired. She's like a good yeah. Rasputin. Yeah. Yeah. She's like a good <laughs> Rasputin. Um, that said, the documentary made by Davis Guggenheim, um, who's, I guess, the last thing he made was Waiting for Superman, which right. I, um, I also was kind of lukewarm on. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, he doesn't, he's just not interested in, I don't know, I feel like I'm going to re- repeat every negative review I read about Hinami Malala, but he's got, like, there's two, there's scenes of him, like, where she's looking at, um, soccer players on the internet and he's like teasing her about which ones she finds cute which if that were just a brief moment in this otherwise stirring portrait that would be endearing and humanizing sure but that's kind of the tone of the whole movie yeah. and I, yeah, like, I feel like he's he's trying to get this le- guy away from kids apparently yeah he's leaning too hard on the like every girl status of Malala when yeah. it's like would she, you know, that is interesting, but it's just a part of it. She's not an every girl. Like she's, that's the tough thing about documentaries or narrative when it's telling a story and it's, and they'll try to do, they'll try to say, Oh, it's just a regular guy. It's like, yeah, to a point. Yeah. There's a reason you showed up with your camera. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) All right. What's, uh, what's next for you? Next for me is, Oh, good God. And you can read my review online. I look forward to it. Tales from the Crypt Bordello of Blood. <laughs> I drew the short straw on that one. No, I I, yeah, I, I leaned in. in front of it. Yeah, I leaned into the pitch. Yeah, took one for the team. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and uh, so I'll talk. My review is online. You, you you can read it, so I won't talk much about it. Um, you know, this is the the vampire movie with Dennis Miller as a wisecracking detective. Um, there are elements to it that are interesting. By and large, it just feels like a long Tales from the Crypt episode. Right. And so I don't know if you remember those. They're not scary. They're more humorous, which is fine. And I will say that the idea of <clears throat> like the wise cracking, cracking cynical detective in the 90s. Why wouldn't you cast Dennis Miller, <laughs> who's just always who holds everything at arm's length and just comments on everything? Yeah. And he rewrote a lot of his dialogue, and I found Dennis Miller funny in the '90s. Uh, in fact, really up until like maybe five years ago, and even then, occasionally he'll say something just to turn a phrase on. Ah, you got me. <laughs> um, but uh, but in the '90s, like he was at the top of his game as far as delivery and writing, and so him rewriting his dialogue works. And it's it's not it's not a good movie. Uh-huh. But there are elements. If if you had taken all the existing elements and moved them around, it could have been actually a pretty effective little movie. Are there other famous people? Corey Feldman's in it. Okay. Chris Sarandon's in it. Oh, I like him. Um, Angie Everhart okay. sounds familiar. And then, oh, I forget the last the last name. But there, yeah, there are people uh, that that you've heard of in it. And then uh, I will say that. So it, it of course Wait, got is a Chris re- Sarandon a vampire. No, he's a preacher. Oh, a big like fire and brimstone preacher. That's another one of the elements that could have been interesting if they had uh, bothered to put any thought into it at all. Um, so it was released by Scream Factory, yeah, and they have a really nice half hour long documentary about the making of it, where basically almost everyone involved says, "Hey, sorry." Um, <laughs> so it's really interesting on that on I that like, level. I like that, and uh, and you know what? Like, and Corey Feldman is is interviewed. He's very candid and. Regardless of what we might all think of Corey Feldman, there does seem to be a humility to him and a desire to work and, and like a professionalism, I think as well when he is working. Um, at least that's how he presents himself. He doesn't seem very egotistical. I don't have any problems with Corey Feldman. Um, I don't think I do either. I guess I just assumed I did because the types of characters he plays, uh, (laughs) you know, like mouth, I'm watching mouth all the time. All right. Um, moving on i saw a movie that i think you would love in fact you might have seen it but i can't remember uh directed by ramin barani it's called 99 homes oh no i haven't uh i think you should check it out um it's 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 really really fantastic stuff the ramin barani is a uh, really has a a handle on being a filmmaker um it's <laughs> an interesting yes i guess so. I, it just it seems like i guess what i mean is with his movies there's no there's no tricks it all of his movies seem pretty boiled down yeah and yet he achieves um huge emotional uh weight and big cathartic moments and even um you know i felt this way with uh, at any price as well which was his last one with dennis quaid and zach zach efron um that he's one of the few people I, I I've had problems in the past with movies that aesthetically present themselves with a naturalistic look mm. and then try to get us to swallow contrivances or oh, you yeah, know, yeah. sort of big, uh, movie ish type of things. Yeah. Um, and he, he does this well because 99 homes does have a 
climax that's it's when you step back and think about it, it's like, yeah, that was very movie-ish. But he, you don't expect he, the spaceship, but yeah, yeah. he he sells. No, he really sells it. I don't know if you know the story of the movie. Andrew Garfield plays uh, a man who's who is evicted from his home, um, and the person who serves the eviction is a real estate uh, agent played by Michael Shannon. Mm-hmm. Who this is what he does. He works with, um, you know the the he's a con- contractor by the government to help kick people out of their homes when they haven't paid and then he tend he buys these homes and sells them oh, okay. he's made a lot of money um with a uh, i'm not going to say he's immoral although i'm sure andrew garfield's character and others who have been kicked out of their home by him might, might disagree with me sure i think he's an amoral character and i think that's actually a lot more interesting oh absolutely um uh, um and uh so andrew garfield gets um gets evicted by this guy and then finds out that one of the guys that works for michael shannon who cleans uh, cleans out the house stole some of his tools so he goes the next day to confront the the people about getting his tools back and ends up sort of being roped into coming along on a job because he needs the money right and then he ends up working for um, and moving up and being sort of like the right hand man of Michael Shannon. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it also has Laura Dern in it, which is always, always, uh, a, always yeah. a plus, uh, and Clancy Brown in a small role. Um, again, always a plus. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, really, really strong stuff. Um, I think you should, check I wish, it out. I wish I had seen it. Um, I'm sure you'll get a chance. Uh, no. <laughs> and then another movie I saw that you gotta see. Because it will be, uh, I feel like, come when awards time gets gets rolling. BP's time. I, th- <laughs> I think you're going to, I don't mean the BP's, I mean uh, regular, real awards. <laughs> you're going to be hearing a lot about Room. Oh, yeah. Jen and I were supposed to see it a few days ago and then work got in the way. It is, it is so fantastic. Yeah. Um, and so unexpected. And an emotional, and I guess it's, I guess it's emotionally manipulative because that's, it's movies and movies are sure. fake. They're artifice. So therefore it is, you know, well, you're really going deep for this. Like, well, just, I mean, just yeah. by their, by their nature, it, yeah. that's manipulative because I'm not actually seeing someone who has been kidding, you know, kept in a room for seven years and then trying to escape. Um, but it is so enveloping in its reality, not only in the room itself, but um, in stuff that takes place outside the room. I'm not sure how much the movie's been out and I'm not sure how much people know about the plot. Cause I knew going in what the main plot was, but my wife didn't. And it, we saw the movie quite differently because of that. Actually, I have so, the vaguest notion of what it's about. Jen read the book. Oh, okay. So, so she knows. Yeah. Um, but the, the world that it creates and the, um, honesty with it, with, with, with which it engages with its own, with itself and with it, with its own world, make those big emotional moments, not feel manipulative. Um, I mean, there's, uh, there's a scene and some credit goes to the music, but the, the, there's a scene that's just like, it's not, it's just someone, I, I can't even, I can't even say what's happening <laughs> yeah. because I don't want to spoil stuff, but my heart was just racing. Uh, like I was watching, you know, some sort of, uh, 
suspense thriller, you know, uh, I don't know, Indiana Jones type movie, except mm-hmm. it was more, um, uh, deeply rooted, I yeah. think. Uh, and it's full of great performances. Um, I'm How's seeing that Brie Larson. She, is she pretty good. Yeah, she's great. She looked... Jacob Tremblay is great. Um, and how's that, then... how's that adapted screenplay? Is it pretty good? <laughs> yeah, it is a very good, very oh, good screenplay. Right. Uh, also, um, Joan Allen and William H. Macy are in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, as is, uh, character actor, Sean Bridges or is it Bridgers? Um, Oh, from, from uh, Deadwood. Deadwood. Yeah. Yes. Okay. He's in it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really, really strong stuff. Um, yeah, yeah I, I'm I, pretty confident I'm going to respond. Yeah. Well to it. Speaking of the BPs, this category that we have of performances under 15 minutes, it's tough. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've introduced it. Um, cause yeah, I, I'm not even going to say who in the movie is in it under 15 minutes because that might be a spoiler, but, uh, yeah, getting a lot of strong contenders here. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's yeah, we'll get to, we'll get to, uh, a movie that I saw in a moment that like has eight contenders for that <laughs> category. Um, so next, and this is the one I just remembered. So I'll go ahead and say, I saw John Houston's beat the devil. Now, I have tried to watch this movie. I was going to say three times. Haven't you already seen it? No, I have owned it (laughs) because people have purchased it for me. And then assuming I would like it, and it's not a bad assumption, John Houston, Humphrey Bogart, Peter Lorre's in it, Robert Moore, a lot, like so much of it is my kind of thing. But John Houston is trying to make not necessarily a parody, but he's trying to make a comedy this it's not necessarily a film noir but that sort of caper uh ensemble maltese falcon type thing now maltese falcon is definitely film noir but i don't uh, but beat the devil definitely is not but it's that that quality uh and so he's trying to make a comedy out of it and i don't think he knows how to do it yet he would go on to make really good comedies that don't lose their stakes. You know, the one that I, in my written review that I talked about is Pritzi's honor, which is a wonderful comedy that you're still invested in the characters. Whereas this, there's some good writing, there's some good acting. Um, but I don't care. I don't care. You know, I'm watching Humphrey Bogart and I don't care what he's doing. I'm watching Peter Lorre and I don't care what he's doing. And so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a bummer because, you know, a, a thing that I regularly say I said it about Bordello of Blood, um, <laughs> is that all the elements are there. Uh-huh. You just If you just tweaked it a little bit, and I think it's just he's not 100% sure how to make this work completely. There are sequences that are really good, and uh, Robert Morley, I don't know if you know who that is. Mm-mm. He's, uh, I don't even remember. Oh, I, fir- I think I first saw him when I was a kid. I first saw him in... Uh, the great Muppet caper. Okay. Um, no, I've seen him, but I haven't seen him okay. since I was, a, yeah, a, he's, a he's just, kid. he's, an, he's, uh, he's basically in the Sydney green street role, but he needs to mug a bit more and he does a really good job. And I, I don't know. It's just a lot of people love the movie and I, uh, and I don't, and I wish I did, but, uh, yeah, I'm kind of bummed out. Okay. Uh, I saw, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't rest too long because you're going to have words or, or thoughts on this. Okay. Because this is a movie you no, we're saw. Gonna, we're going to have words. No, um, this is just a movie that you saw okay. as well. Um, and part of the thing is that I don't have that much to say about it. Uh, it's called Mr. Holmes. Oh yeah. All right. It's 
perfectly fine. <laughs> right. Like I, I, I found that I couldn't, there are elements to it that I love. Yeah. Um, I love the music, but then I'm in, I'm inclined to it's Carter Burwell. I do love that lead performance and I like the kid. I think the kid does a good job too. Carter Burwell is having a hell of a year, by the way. What else has he done? Carol. Oh, all right. I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's great. Um, he did something I just saw. I want to say legend maybe. Oh, okay. We'll talk about that later. Um, yeah. Uh, the Carol score is just jaw dropping. It's so great. Um, well, but, it's, uh, Todd Haynes, like when he makes those types of right. movies, he gets great music yeah. out of yeah. uh, composers, but, um, but yeah, Mr. Holmes is, I, I found myself, I never found myself bored. It's, I think it's very, it's a fantastic performance. Um, yeah. at, you know, in both, uh, the, 60 year old homes and the main story of the 92 year old homes yeah. or whatever. Um, it's got, it's got great clothes. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's just a, a, a well-told story. And I feel like I just, I, I saw so much stuff this past week that, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it just couldn't, couldn't connect. It couldn't, uh, it's rise a, above the din. It's a film that, ha- it deals with a lot of, a lot of, uh, some of my pet themes about okay. like regret and looking back on a certain event and just saying, Oh, if, I, if only I had done this instead of this and then realizing yes, but it's never too late. And that, that I like that sort of thing, especially when you're dealing yeah. with like much older characters. Do you think maybe we talked about this when we did our pet themes episode, do you think when you have pet themes, like you are interested in stories mm-hmm. of regret, do you think you maybe find more notes of regret in movies than I would. Perhaps. Oh, undoubtedly. It's like, uh, you know, when, uh, I see Kia souls all over the place cause that's what I drive. <laughs> right. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a, yeah, that's a great, uh, actually a great comparison. Um, cause yeah, I, I, I mean, I see what you're talking about, but I feel like it's so much more a movie about loneliness uh, yeah. than about regret, but I guess the two can go hand in hand quite a bit. Yeah. I think it's entirely possible that he, ha- he is lonely because he's made himself lonely due to yeah. the, his regrets. But I think there's, not it's not it's not a one to one over overlap, but uh, there's a the movie has a lot in common with Gods and Monsters. Boy, it sure and does. That's so such a better movie that I I, I guess I felt uh, myself comparing it. There's uh, there's a hmm. I think I do like Gods and Monsters more, and there's another wonderful Carter Burwell score, but um, partially just because the nature of the character, the character of James Whale, gives you a lot more to work with. McKellen does great in both, yeah. but you know, one, he's very contained and you have to see the emotion come through that. And the other, the character is very flamboyant Yeah, and he uses that to hide his real emotion as well. And so in but both cases, it's, it's really great. The flashbacks in gods and monsters are a little bit more, uh, maybe artful and impressionistic seeming. Sure. They have that otherworldly feel, whereas this feels like you're being slammed from one to another, which is the intention. I don't mean that it's jarring. Yeah. It is like we're in this reality and then we're in this one, you know? Uh, and I, I guess I appreciate the gods and monsters approach more, but also I'll say this. I'm, I'm just, this hadn't occurred to me. I'm just thinking of it now. Um, maybe part of the reason I like gods and monsters better is that when you look at the corollary of characters, you know, you got mm-hmm. Ian McKellen is Ian McKellen. Laura Linney is Vanessa Redgrave. Sure. The Brendan Fraser character in this one is a little kid and that's less interesting, less interesting to me. You it's, know what I mean? it's you. It's often less interesting to me, but I did like this kid specific. There's a scene where he is abusing. He's being verbally abusive to his mother. Like it's mm-hmm. tough. Yeah. And that kid's great in that moment. And yeah, you're right. And I remember, and yeah, I'm, I'm the point, same yeah. way where I'm just like, eh, 
what's this kid going to give me? <laughs> and I say that a year after loving the Babadook. Yeah. Um, and you haven't even seen room yet, which is exactly. Yeah. Un- unbelievable. Yeah. Child performance. And that, like, I thought the kid was fine and, you know, cute and all that and, and, and precocious and, and such. And then that scene comes along. It's like, Oh, I've been, I need to pay more attention to this kid. So yeah, that's interesting because he, the kid actually does what I think we both sort of chastised miles Teller for not being able to do in whiplash. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's, he's just a dick. Yeah. He doesn't, yeah, it doesn't cut any corners, but he's a dick. He's also a dick in a way. A kid can be a dick. They don't right. overwrite the character right. either, which yeah, I think yeah. is, is key. Uh, and then I saw another movie, uh, right after this was a double feature of screening cause they're both roadside attractions. So I saw the, uh, did award screenings back to back. Um, a movie that I had not, that I had heard good things about, but didn't have high expectations for. And ended up, maybe because of that ended up really being impressed by, uh, which is love and mercy. Oh yeah. The Brian Wilson. Did you see it? I did. Uh, yeah, I, 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 that one, that one snuck up on me uh, as well. Um, and I think for a number of reasons, I expected it to be a more straightforward biopic. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not, um, it doesn't like, I mean, it doesn't even need, I mean, this sounds stupid. It doesn't need to be about, I would see it's a real story. So it is about Brian Wilson because sure. it's about him. But the hook of the movie is not, this is the guy from the beach boys. Like yeah. the hook of the movie is a guy, um, with, who's probably a, and almost assuredly a genius, but also mentally ill and yeah. has been, um, misunderstood and taken advantage of all his life because of that. In a way, his being, in the the guy from the Beach Boys might be the worst thing to have ever happened to him <laughs> mentally. Right, right, yeah. Um, and I, uh, maybe another reason that um, I wasn't thinking that highly of it is that maybe because of recent career choices, I don't get excited for a John Cusack movie that much anymore. Sure, but he's great in this. I mean, as, as good as good as Paul Dano is, because as my wife likes to say, Paul Dano is never bad in anything. Um, she's sure. she's a huge fan. Um, and he's in youth, which we'll be talking about in the main episode. Uh, anyway, um, as good as Paul Dano is, I found the John Cusack portions of love and mercy. Um, more, I was, I was more excited when we got back, back to that cause it cuts back and forth. It's not chronological. Um, and part of that is that Paul Giamatti is so great in it too. And Elizabeth Banks is that, yeah, that you, you have a all much, three of them are great, a much more clear antagonist in that you have someone to root against yeah. now. I'll tell you who I've been enjoying and he, he plays, he, he shows up for like a minute here and a minute there in movies for the last few years. Bill uh-huh. camp. Yes. Bill camp is great. And you know. cause I've, I've tried to listen to those like studio recordings where you can hear Brian Wilson and his dad talking oh, and I can't get too far into into them because they're so upsetting to me the, oh, way, sure. that, the way that Brian Wilson's dad talked to him. And, uh, yeah, so I was kind of scared of that part of the movie and Bill camp. Yeah. He lived up to it, but I think that's actually an interesting Something I just, this is why I love doing these movie journals because I find myself realizing things that I didn't realize. I mentioned you've got John Cusack, Paul Giamatti, and Elizabeth Banks yeah. all playing off each other. In most of the young, the, the younger stuff, you've got Paul Dano and, uh, uh, you know, up against people who are maybe less seasoned and, uh, except for like the Bill Camp scenes are among the best yeah. because it's two great actors bouncing off one another. The guy, I, I don't generally like to, um, call out actors I've talked about before because it's not a craft that I understand all that well. Um, and so I feel bad saying someone did a bad job, but the guy who plays Mike love in the early stuff is just, he's not on the right page and it's, and that's it. 
and he's that, a bit one note. But and I, as yeah. that goes on, as that story goes on, Mike Love becomes a more important character because he becomes, he's not the Paul Giamatti. He's not the antagonist in that right. way, but he is for, for in as much as the early sixties parts have an antagonist or the mid sixties parts, I guess um, it's Mike Love. Cause Mike Love is the one saying, don't, do what your you know muse is telling you to do don't mm-hmm. don't follow what your where your brain waves are going keep making this stuff that made us famous yeah uh and i i, I don't I, I i didn't find him believable i found him i found him believable but i thought they could probably have developed him more but i guess when you're doing these two parallel storylines you're only going to develop characters so much i think the actor it might be an issue with the script it could also be the limitations of the actor. Cause I think if I'm, if I'm looking at those, those lines just on a page, I think there's a way to make him sympathetic to Brian. Right. Yeah. But also maybe yeah. being a little bit scared as opposed to just pure aggression. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, and I'll say this, uh, we did a more than one lesson episode about love and mercy and the companion film was, uh, I believe it was David Cronenberg's spider. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So uh, I will say one part that spoke to me because I saw it with my wife. Um, the fact that Brian Wilson's character became a big fan of matzo ball soup because of his first wife being Jewish. <laughs> that is very similar to my experience of someone who had never tried matzo ball soup before I started uh, dating and then married a, a Jewish woman. And I am also a huge fan of matzo ball soup. That is an experience I do not have, nor does my wife have, uh, <laughs> where we have learned new about new cuisine because <laughs> I know I'm not going to like the stuff she likes. And she already knows, she already knows what yeah. peanut butter on toast <laughs> or chicken fingers tastes like. I haven't um. had first. Okay. <laughs> first off, I haven't had peanut butter toast in three years. Okay. And uh, chicken fingers. Hey, <laughs> can't go wrong with them. You know, stop, stop busting my balls. All right. Uh, what's next for you? Next for me is uh, a movie that I did watch for more than one lesson. And it is the, uh, this week's episode I recorded with uh, uh, Jim Rohner about it. Right. It is Adrian Lynn line. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, I think we say Lynn in that. Okay. Um, Adrian Lynn's uh, Jacob's Ladder, which I had never seen. A movie very, very dear to me. Dear to a lot of people our age. Yeah. I knew people who, I mean, that's it, a weird movie to watch when you're like 12, but I knew a lot of people that I, saw it when they were 12. I think that's part of the reason it, like, if you see that movie when you're 12, it burns itself onto your psyche. Because yeah. it's probably not like anything you've seen before and not like anything you're expecting. Yeah. Uh, cause I think it's, it's, it's in some ways it's so the Adrian Lynn sort of, uh, mid nineties, um, somewhat, you know, sexually charged yeah. psychological thriller type of thing. It did come out in and, 1990 though. I will um, say that. Okay. Early 90. Yeah. That's even more right. Cause it's, uh, you know, around the time of like, you know, what he Fatal made. Attraction. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it, it, and it looks like those movies and feels like it a lot of the time, but I think if, that's the mindset you're in. You're probably not expecting the horrific nightmare imagery that pops right. up from time to time. Uh, and that's probably why it, uh, you know, it becomes uh, scarred on your brain. And what's interesting is having heard, I didn't know much about Jacob's ladder. Um, I've, I managed to, to stay pretty spoiler free my whole life, uh-huh. which is odd considering the number of people I know that talked about that movie a lot. Um, but I did know about, Oh, all this crazy nightmare imagery. And by the time you watch it, by the time I watched it, pardon me, um, I went expecting a, a, a lot more of a, almost a psychedelic, surreal type of thing. And it isn't. 
there, there are definitely those images, but they're, they're just brief flashes. The rest of the time, uh, it's shot and acted in a fairly straightforward way, but then there'll be thing developments and you're like, what, Hey, wait, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, but even those developments developments are shot in a way that seems fairly straightforward. That said, I love the movie. Oh, good. I think it's amazing. I think they make a big misstep, a huge misstep at the very end fade out he's walking up the stairs looking back at you like bigfoot Uh um and then it and then it there's the 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 card at the end that talks about yeah you know in such and such you know it was it was shown that uh soldiers were experimented on just and i remember thinking like well look that's terrible but that's not at all what this movie's about i yeah you're really reducing this movie now yeah i i agree to the point that i forget that that is in there (laughs) yeah they could cut like they could do a director's cut, take that out and we're good. Um, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so it's, uh, yeah, it'd it, be the, like the Cohen versus the <laughs> Cohen brothers version of a director's cut. Isn't like the blood simple director's cut is like 90 seconds shorter than the original theatrical release or something and, like that. And they change uh, a musical, uh, oh, okay. choice yeah. and it's a big musical choice too. Um, but yeah, but I really liked it and you can go and listen to the more than one lesson episode about it. Okay. Um, I saw the peanuts movie. Oh, Okay. It's, uh, I, I, I think I, I went in with my hopes up. Maybe this is the opposite of the love and mercy experience where I really wanted to like the peanuts movie. And I, there's nothing, there's nothing objectionable about it. I just wish it had, uh, uh, I wish it had, you know, I guess just lifted off the screen a little more. I'm not saying that as a mm. 3d joke. Uh, I forgot that it, Oh, indeed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the 3d is actually not bad. Um, but it's, it's got, um, it's got, I guess it doesn't have anything you wouldn't expect from a peanuts movie, which I guess to a lot of people probably is something to recommend it. But I feel like it has the sort of the, the lessons, um, and you know, that Charlie Brown is a sad sack, but he is, um, ultimately a good person and things in their own way work out for him because he's a good person, despite being sort of having a lot of self doubt, uh, and feeling like a loser a lot of the time. And that stuff, that's why I wanted to like the movie. Like I was excited for the movie because I, that, that, um, that portrait of childhood melancholia is something that I've always responded to with, with the character of Charlie Brown. Yeah. Um, and so it's all there, but I guess I, I wanted it to be something, uh, uh, more remarkable, I guess I will yeah. say this. It's, um, it makes, I'm really glad that it is still set in Charlie Brown times, whenever that is like yeah. the, that the kids don't have like Nintendo DSs or anything like that. Thank God, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, like it's, it, it is not updated in that way. That said, there are, montage is set to like Megan trainer songs and stuff that I could have done without. Um, and they can't win them all. I cause guess. I mean, that is really going to date this movie. Sure. You know? Um, and what, and what's good about peanuts is that it's, it's fairly timeless. Yeah, like yeah. the nature of these kids is fairly timeless. Yeah. Um, but it's essentially, this is sort of a, a theme I'm realizing in the movies that I saw. Like Mr. Holmes has the 90 year old, the 60 year old. Yeah. Love and mercy has, uh, this one is not time it doesn't jump in time, but it has the Charlie Brown story and the Snoopy story, ah. which are essentially completely separate stories that it just cuts back and forth on. That's pretty, that's pretty standard. Is the Snoopy story fun? Uh, yeah, it's, um, all in his head. It's him of course. You know, flying around and battling the, red, the Baron. red Baron. Yeah. Oh no, uh, that's right. He fights the red yes, Baron. That's yes. right. 
Um, uh, yeah, but uh, I, I wish it were better. Now, uh, continuing this theme of um, my expectations, <laughs> perhaps dictating how I felt about a movie, I went in with almost no expectations at all for Legend. Oh, okay. And I, now I think among, I, I mean, I think... Remind me who directed it. Bri- Brian Helgeland. Oh, that's right. Wrote that's right. and directed it. And this is not, um, I think the last Brian Helgeland movie that there was that, and that I saw as far as him as a director was 42, which was oh. very conventional and, um, dry and, uh, mostly forgettable. And maybe that's why I didn't have my hopes up, but this is more Brian Helgeland in a night's tale mode where yeah. he's like, or payback, it, but no more a night's tale because okay. he's specifically taking uh, and people will disagree with me. I always feel like I have to defend things because I know critics that I like, smart critics, aren't really generally over the moon about, the moon about this movie. I'm kind of in the in the minority among. And now I'm just going to refer to myself as a smart critic. That's dumb. All right, <laughs> uh, maybe the point is that they're smart and I'm dumb, and that's why I like it. But uh, it's a night's tale in that he's taking a recognizable genre um, and sort of having fun with it, you know, exaggerating it. He's not doing the uh, intentionally anachronistic stuff like he did in a night's tale yeah. where you've got people like singing queen songs at medieval jousts. Yeah. Um, which I love. I don't know if you don't like, a no, Knight's you know, I, I was thinking in turn, uh, they, they do some stuff in, in pan where the pirates are singing, okay. uh, uh, smells like teen spirit. Oh, okay. And it's just, and, and they do it with that and then they do it with a Ramon song and it only happens twice. And it's just like, this That's seems weird. That it would, seems like, yeah, it should it should either be more or not at all. But, Sorry, go on. So, so this is a th- theoretically this is a an, an historical drama or a historical gangster movie about real gangsters from the nineteen sixties in in London. These brothers, the Cray brothers. Um, there was a movie made about them in the like nineteen ninety, I think, called The Crays or the eighties, hmm. uh, which I never saw. Um, but. Uh, I I think the key to the movie is sort of in the term legend that he's, I think Brian Helgeland is intentionally sort of amping things up and making them more movie ish and exaggerated because this is the kind of like, this is the story as it might be told, um, over pints at the pub, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, people, you know, it's three generations removed. Like I heard this story about the craze and it has that sort of feel of it being, um, probably not exactly how things unfolded but then he does an even smarter thing and again a lot of people will disagree with me one of them is coming over here uh in a little bit um uh to to be on our main episode but um the other thing he does is that he puts the narration in the voice of emily browning's character which is uh one of tom hardy's characters wives tom hardy plays both brothers You, you know that um i'm sure most of the listeners know that too and she is sort of the like realistic voice. Like she's like these, you know, she was like, or, or the person who, who's, who's been disillusioned because she was drawn to Reggie Cray's criminal life and his status and his mm-hmm. swagger and stuff like that. And over the course of their marriage, she just saw him as a, what, what a gangster probably is a short sighted brute. Right. Um, and, uh, it, so there's a lot of, there's like a every time Brian Hoagland has something over the top and sort of like, um, intentionally like, uh, 
aping Martin Scorsese type sure. of thing. Every time he has one of those, he check he keeps it in check by also ha- adding a dash of reality either from either from Francis or uh, Emily Browning's character Francis, or in a couple of cases from. Uh, having a sort of whimsical, clever, like Guy Ritchie type scene, and then having the ensuing violence be like disturbingly violent, oh, wow. <laughs> like going over the top with, you know, there, uh, there's a little, there's a little thing, little thing that really, um, stuck with me, this choice that there's a part where the brothers are get they get in a fight with each other. That's not going to be a big spoiler. That obviously had to happen at some point. Right. Um, at a, at a club, at a nightclub. And, um, one of them throws a bottle at the other and misses and Brian Helgland and make sure to shoot the stunt and include the scene where an innocent woman gets a bottle smashed or like she ducks her head and it smashes her shoulder. Yeah. But like that, that reminder of real life collateral damage felt, um, smart. It felt intentional. It felt kind of Sopranos ish to me. Um, mm. that's the kind of thing that Sopranos would do Absolutely. a lot. Um, and, uh, I, I really think this is a smarter movie than a lot of people are giving it credit for, but it's also very funny. And it's also real quick when I said, I mentioned Paul Bettany again. Oh, okay. Again, bringing up this topic of the BP award for best performance under 15 minutes. Mm. Uh, Paul Bettany is uncredited in the movie. He is the, he is the rival gangster, the rival London gangs, the, the head of the other gang in the early part of the movie before they take over everything. Uh, and he's delightful. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Uh, another topic, uh, another episode topic that I just thought of. Okay. Um, cause I don't think we've ever talked about it because it seems so simple, but, um, movie titles. Okay. Because the way you describe it, because I remember looking at the movie and thinking calling it legend is silly. There are so because many because di- of the Ridley Scott movie already existing. <laughs> Obviously I walk in expecting, uh, Tim Curry with a, big horns, a behorned Tim Curry. <laughs> and so, um, the, uh, no, it just, it seemed like such a de- generic title and I feel like it doesn't really, it's just like, you've got twin British gangsters. I feel like you can probably do something with that, but uh-huh. given what you just told me, the title, th- this is a thing that I try to think about is, you know, titles are not just chosen at random. Right. Sometimes they're chosen to help frame the movie you're about to see, or you see the movie, then you look at the title and think, oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like there's an episode in there. Yeah. I, th- I definitely think like Chinatown, is. for example, is one that I was thinking That's of. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, considering that very little of the film takes place in Chinatown. Um, so, okay. Or, uh, Margaret is one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great one. Um, okay. Uh, moving on. Yeah. You've got, I have many? three more. All right. Do one now, then I'll do two, then you do two. Okay. Okay. Uh, I saw Tom McCarthy's spotlight. Oh, okay. No, uh, spoilers. I'm seeing it this weekend. Okay. Um, I really, it's in my top 10. Yeah. You're, t- you're a big Tom McCarthy fan. I am. I, oh, I love the cobbler. <laughs> well, everyone forgets about that. <laughs> yeah, already. already indeed. We'll yes. about it. Um, and you know what? And I remember th- walking in thinking, "Well, this is this is a bit different for Tom McCarthy. This he doesn't usually do this kind of thing." I was wrong. Okay. Though this is more drama than comedy, and he makes comedies with a lot of drama in them, but though this is way more drama than comedy, it continues the thing that he did in Station Agent, The Visitor. Uh, win-win 
of these makeshift families. Almost all of these characters are married, but we very seldom see their spouses. We see them working with each other. Mm. And we see that's a, it's like, there's the dad, there's the uh, older brother. There's like the quiet middle kid. There's the goofy uncle. It's so interesting. The dynamic that he managed to capture. And I think that's what makes this makes the film work so well is you know, the shorthand that these characters have with each other, because not only are they in the same industry and work for the same paper, but they're also in the same department, you know? And so that's captured really well. As far as the investigative elements, there's a lot of all the president's men in there. There's a lot of Zodiac in there. Hmm. Um, and it's just really, but, and every actor does wonderfully. And this is the one that I was telling you about. Oh, there, there, yeah. there are characters like all the president's men. There are characters that will show up for one scene and hit it out of the park. And it's amazing. Um, and, but then there's so many, I think if there is a lead, it's probably Michael Keaton. Um, but I know that the Academy is probably pushing him for supporting. Okay. Um, but he's got competition from Mark Ruffalo. And in my opinion, he's got a lot of competition, competition from Leah Schreiber who does really great, wonderful work. Um, and so it's, it's a really, really effective movie, um, that, I'll probably be talking about on more than one lesson at some point. Well, if I, if I could, I mean, I, I, it's gotten such good reviews that I don't know if I, that I could be any more excited, but, uh, you were describing it, that, that sort of thing about sort of makeshift families or de facto yeah. families, the way, the way that people who work together, spend a lot of time together, fall into familial type roles yeah. is something that I am always fascinated by. And it's part of the, maybe part of the reason that I'm such a TV fan in addition to a movie sure. fan, because I've, I've said kind of, you know, what, what, what's the word uh being uh what's when you exaggerate for effect uh embellish yeah that's not what i'm thinking of but uh like superlative type of uh hyperbole uh, hyperbole is the word i'm looking for i i've said on i remember i was a guest on the televerse and i said that um all t all tv shows are about this like all tv shows about families either either real families or the families that you create um and i don't uh, you know that's not actually true um, but it's very not far off because long-term storytelling tends to lend itself to that kind of, yeah. uh, social examination anyway. So that made me even more, uh, interested, uh, in it. One question for you. Okay. Do you, when did the cobbler come out in theaters last year, year before? I don't know. Nobody knows. No, it was this year. It was 2015, right? Was it this year? I thought it was last year, but I might be, I might be incorrect on that. Okay. What, my question is, if they came out in the reverse order, if Spotlight came out now and The Cobbler came out in like the January <laughs> dumping ground, okay, could it be? Could Tom McCarthy have norbited himself? Like, does that work the same for directors as actors? Could he have? Could he cost himself awards? You know what? Cobbler? I don't. I don't think so because I don't think Tom McCarthy. You're right. The, it was last year. I don't think he's the type of director that has tremendous power. And so oh, that's not true. It came out in March of 2013. So yeah, he, he would have avoided the, uh, Oh sure. The, the Oscars. Yeah. Um, but it's one of the, you know, it's, the thing about Norbit is that Eddie Murphy probably has a fair amount of control on the projects that he picks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he does this really great performance in dream girls. And then he's like, he could have said no to Norbit, but no, he, it is an Eddie Murphy vehicle and he has probably maybe not final approval, but there's a lot of things he could have done. Whereas an argument could be made when you watch the cobbler that the inclusion of Adam Sandler made the studio 
pay more attention to the film and Tom McCarthy was not allowed to do okay. what he wanted to do. You could always make that argument. I don't know. Um, now, and as someone who follows awards a little more closely than I do, do you buy into that uh, narrative that Eddie Murphy would have won the Oscar if it weren't for Norbit? No. Okay. I don't. Who did it, win the Supreme Alan Archer. Oscar? For Little Miss Sunshine? Yeah, it was okay. his turn. It was. Oh. He was always going to win. Okay. All right. Um, good to know. All right. I've got two more movies left. Unfortunately, they're both uh, not very good. I hate to end on a down note, but one of them was a movie that I really I'm wanted. I'm going to end on, on an up note. So That's good. good. Um, but I do have one TV thing to mention that is an up note. Um, this is a movie that when I first heard about it along, uh, whenever, uh, forever ago, I was excited. And then over the course of festivals and other critics seeing it, I increasingly became more and more uh, disappointed in its reputation and mm-hmm. still wanted it to be good. But Tom Hooper's The Danish Girl is, mm. it's more than just bad. It's, it's really bad. Really? Unfortunately, it is, uh, it's, it's kind of, preposterous it feels really underwritten um it feels like and again i i don't like i i don't like talking smack about actors too much and especially not ones that i have heretofore been a big fan of but i don't get where alicia vikander is coming from in, mm. in, in this movie um eddie, eddie redman I, I i still like um but he's not, I mean, he's, he, he's given some weird stuff to work with where I just like this, this should be such a touching story and definitely should be an actor's showcase, but it, the movie seems, the movie itself seems so confused about what a transgender person is. It also seems kind of confused about what women are in general <laughs> like uh it, like it doesn't seem to understand what what it means for Eddie Redmayne's character to feel that he is a woman it, he, yeah i feel like that's the first thing you need to <laughs> capture right yeah like and it it actually managed uh, luckily it does correct this implication luckily later. it gets the guys right <laughs> thank god um i do like matthias shanerts i didn't know i didn't know he was in it and i always i tend to like him and stuff um did you ever see the drop uh you gotta see that oh One no, James no. Gunn, no. Last yeah anyway. right um anyway um like it actually manages to give the impression for some time that Eddie Redmayne's character didn't realize he was transgender until he put on some stockings for the first time, which is, I, I'm not transgender. I don't think that's how it works. And eventually, luckily, there is some dialogue that sheds some light on his childhood, and you realize, okay, th- this was going on all along. But it, like the fact, the the the, the cluelessness and the tone deafness with with which it even manages to suggest that is. Uh, indicative of the movie uh, as a whole. Which, it's like in and out. <laughs> I haven't seen it since like, I was in high school and I liked it. You but, did like, oh yeah. um, okay. But again, that was uh, high school's a long time ago now. And I was not as sophisticated a cinephile as I fancied myself at the time. You know, I wonder if it might be this idea of, okay, so this is going to sound very strange to when you think of the Danish girl, you might not immediately think of Christian film, except apparently they're all, everything's terrible. Um, that right. when you're dealing with something that is not immediately tangible, like the idea of a guy who feels like he's a woman, like that's all internal. Yeah. And so that's a hard thing. Again, to, to save you emails, the character okay. is a woman. 
You know oh, I'm, I mean? sorry, I'm sorry. Well, it's the, and the way the sorry, the way the film is is framing it like he didn't realize this yes, until this moment. Yes, that's, so sorry. Uh, and I didn't know what you were trying way. to say, but I feel like uh, in in the SJW uh, waters that I tread on the internet, I just I, I know when to expect uh, backlash. So I uh, mean, all the time. <laughs> sorry, yeah. sorry, no, everybody. Let's let's not get into that. Let's let's um, not. Yeah. Although to do so, we would get into South Park and it's amazing. But anyway, okay, um, the, uh, but nonetheless, there, there's this element of, it's a thing that yes, the actor could do it. And I think Eddie Redmayne could absolutely do it, but there's in the same way, it's going to sound super weird in the Christian, in Christian movies, it tends to not be enough to like have a character praying or have a character be talking about faith because, you know, it's an invisible thing mm-hmm. and it's hard to it's hard to shoot in such a way it's like well we can't do god's pov that's weird and maybe a little uh reductive and so often you will have somebody have an epiphany when they they're given something like it's a physical thing like oh i didn't you know and it's usually something super easy like oh it's a little wooden cross like oh you know what this I didn't, I never saw a cross before. That's horseshit, of course. <laughs> but, and in that same way, it's just, it, it's a thing. It's like, okay, we need a, a, a catalyst. Right. But in doing so, it makes, they do it for dramatic purposes, but in doing so, it makes everything so simple. Yeah. And, it, yeah. It makes the character seem dumb. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's what got me about in and out is that it's one thing if there's a character that's like closeted and he just doesn't want anybody to know, but then someone does out him and it's just like, yeah, I guess I've always been this in, in and out. He really does not seem to know. Right. Yeah. That's coming back to me now. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to put that one on the long list of movies to revisit. Um, I, I don't, I think you're good. <laughs> I think you're good, but it's, I mean, it's got a great cast in and out. I love Kevin. It Klein. does. I love and Tom Selleck. Joan Cusack. Wonderful. Joan Cusack. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, that's the Danish that's girl. One bad don't, movie. Don't bother. One down. The other one. No, I said the Danish girl is not merely bad. This one is just merely bad, but that's still oh, a disappointment. Thank God. <laughs> it's still a disappointment because uh, I love this uh, director so much. Uh, it's the new Billy Ray film secret in their eyes. Oh yeah. All right. Um, I don't know if you've been reading reviews or looking at it. Uh, yeah, it's this one I am in the majority on people okay. don't like it yeah. and they're right to it's, uh, it just has, it's just inert. The whole movie, it just lays there. Uh, it's too bad. I like Billy Ray. Um, yeah, me too. Um, and he does get to do, he does do some, you know, cause he's a, uh, a guy who, um, I don't know that I, I don't think of Billy Ray as a political filmmaker so much as a filmmaker who is interested in politics. And sure, I, don't, I don't mean sure. politics like the gamesmanship of, uh, right. uh, you know, campaigning and stuff like that, but, um, how, uh, policy, um, affects how people live their lives and do their jobs. Right. And the flashbacks are set, um, this is another one. Like uh, apparently this is a huge thing this year. I'm just realizing, uh, movies that are set in two different time periods and go back and forth between them. That's odd. Cause this is set in 2015 and 2002 and the 2002 stuff is, you know, Chiwetel Ejiofor and, um, Julia Roberts and Dean Norris. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, who's the actor whose name I always forget? Michael Kelly. Is that his name? Oh, sure. He's a character. He's great. Yeah. Um, they all work for the FBI and they're working in counterterrorism. And so you see with um, uh, Alfred Molina plays the district attorney in the flashbacks and um, Nicole Kidman plays a, a, a counselor in the district attorney's office. Um, and so you see how post 
uh, Homeland Security issues um, in in uh, in an attempt to make things more clear cut as far as what goals are for these government agencies actually end up muddying things because it um, makes everything that's not Homeland Security a lower priority and then, uh, you know, you're essentially... Uh, I don't want to get into the plot specifically of the movie, but, um, you know, you're... Essentially, you got characters advocating letting a rapist and murderer go free right. because of the... Um, and th- that's there's it, an element to that in, in spotlight as well, okay. because that story was starting. They were in the process of breaking the story and then nine 11 happened. Oh. And then the editors say, okay, you're on this. And what's more, nobody fights them because right. everybody recognized like, uh, of course, right. It doesn't matter what I'm working on. This is more important. Um, and so I, uh, well, I'm latching onto this post nine 11 thing because it's the only thing that's interesting about secret in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Most of it is just so dull. And even like it has, a couple of like foot chase sequences that should be, should be thrilling. But then again, that's not really Billy Ray's thing. Like even breach, yes. which is kind of a thriller. doesn't have any action yeah. sequences. The big, the big, uh, action sequence in breach is when, uh, Ryan Phillippe has to remember where something was in Chris Cooper's bag as Chris Cooper's walking back to his office. That's it. Oh, right, right. There's also a scene with a traffic jam. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's, that's the Billy idea of an action scene. It takes place during a traffic yeah. jam. Literally uh, the, uh, the absence of movement. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love breach. I feel like that's a movie that more it's, people should talk about. It's marvelous. Um, I, it's, it bums me out that more people aren't aware of it. Yeah. 2007. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe it just got lost in the glut. Um, that's probably true, but yeah, it's secret in their eyes. It's uh yeah, it's a bummer. Um, that it it isn't better Have you seen and i also don't understand why it there's no the at the beginning i talked i mentioned this in my review like why like the original is called or at least the spanish translation of the secret in their eyes yeah i don't know why this one is just called uh, is just called secret in their eyes seems like an odd omission yeah um yeah that's very strange um have you seen the original? Uh, no, I never have. Because I've heard the original is not that great either. That it's just kind of a, a standard procedural. Like every a lot of reviews that I've read said that this actually makes some improvements on the original, but it still yeah. is not that good. And some people love the original, and it did did one it won it the won, Oscar, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, uh, I, I I don't. Um, I was talking to with um, another critic after the screening uh, last night, and there's one foot chase through Dodger stadium. Uh, and that the one thing I did rec- uh, appreciate about the movie is it's Los Angeles location shooting because yeah. a Dodger stadium. And they also go to Coles, uh, multiple times, which is a, a restaurant and bar that I love. Um, oh, I thought you were talking about the department store. No, no. I was like, why would you be so excited? C O L E apostrophe S. Uh, one of the two places in Los Angeles that claims to have invented the French dip. The other one is Philippe's, um, or Philippe original. I can't remember what it's actually called. Even I like French dip. Uh, yeah. Coles is great. Um, but, uh, there's a foot chase to Dodger stadium and, um, at, like during a game and, uh, this other critic was saying in the original it's, well, it's a soccer stadium, uh, cause it's Argentina. Um, and it's, and it's a, it's a one, it's a single taker, a, a, a one, a one uh-huh. take, uh, action sequence. And, um, it's sort of the centerpiece of the movie. And, there's there's no way that this this scene in secret in this secret in their eyes could be considered the centerpiece of the movie hmm. um yeah it's just he doesn't have the visual it's not that he's a like 
Breach has good visual and editing choices. Well, he's not a kinetic filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. He's an internal filmmaker. Yeah. And I think this has some things that should be bigger. Um, like there's a moment I, I also called this out in my review. One of the big turning points, it's sort of the end or it's near the end. Like if you were to edit the stuff chronologically, you know, the 2002 mm-hmm. and the two, 2015, this would be like the middle point in the movie. It comes later in the movie because they're told right. uh, at parallel, but there's a part where there's a, 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 burning van on the street in front of city hall at night. And it's, it's a turning point and it should be a big moment. And I feel like Billy Ray just doesn't know how to make that kind of visually big moment, uh, work. Hmm. It, it, it just falls flat. Like, I feel like I know what you're, it's like, it's like when you have to sneeze and you don't, Oh yeah. <laughs> that's it. like, I know what this should, I know what this moment should be and it's not <laughs> getting there. Yeah. Oh, that bums me out. Cause that was the one thing that, not the one thing. I mean, obviously that it's got a good cast and it's an interesting idea, but that was the thing that really got me interested was direct written and directed, I believe by Billy Ray. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's, he's got a good track record for me. So yeah. uh, maybe it's good, but I guess not. All right. I went on too long with the, with those last two. Okay. I, I didn't mean to. Uh, so uh, what do you, you got two? I'll go quickly. Um, so I watched for various reasons. I watched a couple of Harold Lloyd movies. One of them I had seen before and one for the first time. Uh, the one for the first time is called speedy, which I had heard was one of his not, still good, but like lesser, um, from a, mm-hmm. certainly from a story standpoint. And I agree. Um, you know, some, something that would happen with, with, uh, Lloyd and with, with certain screen comedians was there'd be, a big set piece at the end. And then everything leading up to that didn't really have much to do with it. Um, but you know, so the, the film almost seems segmented into just a series of sketches, but the last one happens to be pretty long. Um, but it's that last sequence is great. And, um, there's a, it's, it's very strange to, to think of this. Um, Babe Ruth is in it as himself. (laughs) <laughs> and at one point, um, Harold's in, this is the part that got me that I, that I enjoyed the most. So Harold's a cab driver mm-hmm. and, uh, he's also a big baseball fan and Babe Ruth needs a cab. And so he puts him in his cab and the whole time he's just like looking backwards and saying like, like you're just the best babe. And, and you, so you're looking at the windshield, you're mm-hmm. looking at Harold and you're seeing all the stuff that is about to hit <laughs> that he's about to hit, but just, cars veering out of the way, people jumping out of the way. And he's just smiling, looking back, looking back at you. And, uh, and then Babe Ruth turns out to be a pretty, uh, pretty fun comic actor, uh, just being just so terrified. And, uh, so that, that to me is the, is the most fun se- sequence in it, but it's, that sounds it, fun. but it's so strange to think. Cause like, yes, I know that I'm looking at silent film. I guess I just didn't expect to see Babe Ruth, the actual <laughs> Babe Ruth, you know? Yeah. I've, I've gotten so used to seeing actors play Babe Ruth. Right. And this is, but it's actually, and it's, it's not unlike when you see an athlete in you know, in a train wreck or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, it's very strange. Yeah. It was surreal, but it, it made the scene r- work really well. And then the other one uh, is a film I've seen many times. It's safety last. And, uh, it has lost nothing. It is, such an amazing have you seen it i never have okay so that's the one where that it also leads to a big yeah. sequence but everything story-wise fits together should i put this on my list of things to watch above rewatching in and out 
or below rewatching in and out? I think below. Okay. You know, I mean, you said it, we said in and out first, (laughs) you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, um, what's the, anyway, um, but the sequence where he is climbing up that building, it's, I can't even begin to describe. I've seen it four or five times now and I know how it was done. It still is like, I, I made noises. I can't help but make noises. I just like, and it's like, Oh God, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. Um, and, and I like, and I'm not, I don't usually say like Jesus Christ, but I did. I was just like, I was like Jesus Christ. And just like, it's, it's so, and, and I found myself as Lloyd wanted, I found myself laughing out of, just nervousness and out of relief because his whole thing was like, Hey, I'll get, I'll get a laugh wherever I can. And nobody else is going for the nervous laughter. So that's what I'll do. And it's, it is one of the most, and I saw it with my friend. uh, I watched it with my friend, Joel, um, who had not seen it before. And he would occasionally somehow I was okay with both of us talking, not merely because the film is silent, but because I feel it, it feels like it's supposed to be interactive. (laughs) And Joel's just like, he doesn't have a cable. He's, He's not hooked into anything. What's he, what's he doing? And uh, it was just, it was so much fun. I, it, and I, I've been thinking about Harold Lloyd because when we had Charles on. Yeah. Um, and uh, seek out Safety Last, everybody. It's amazing. Speedy's very good. I think I like The Freshman more, but I think Safety Last is Harold Lloyd's best film. Okay. And then just a real quick TV uh, thing. And now, no, if I had anything to say about it, I would be talking about the Project Runway finale, but it was another Project Runway finale, so I'm not going to talk enough. about that. I'm going to talk about, real quick, the premiere of With Bob and David on oh, okay. Netflix, uh, a much-anticipated show. Have you watched any of it yet? Uh, I, saw a, I saw a music video on Facebook. Okay. I, I've, I've only watched the first one, so I, I might not have seen uh, that music video. Okay. Um, but they're all, I think there's only five of them, and they're all okay. up. Um, and it's... It's exactly, it's, it's, it's what I wouldn't even, it's what I didn't dare dream it would be, which is it's a new season of Mr. Show. Like it is so it's the same cast. It's so much the same format. Um, and, um, it's, it's just, uh, really funny and really, uh, refreshing. So definitely check that out. Do you have any TV real quick? I know we have uh, our guest is here. Uh, this is the best. Hang on. If this season of Survivor goes the way it should, okay. the, the way it is, uh, it will it will maybe be my favorite season, and it might be the best season. Do you think you're enjoying it more because you're doing a podcast about it, and you're thinking and talking about it more? Um, maybe. I don't think so, but maybe. Um, and then, so it's, it's really great, uh, and that podcast is called Worth Playing For, by the way. Um, and then uh, I've been catching up on Drunk History. Okay. And that leads to another episode uh, okay. that I would like to do about uh, our the way we and and I was also inspired by our discussion of D.W. Griffith, which is the way we look back on things. But that and we would have to talk about it from the standpoint of movies. But just the way that these drunk people were talking about <laughs> events of the past really fascinated me. Because when you watch a bunch of episodes in a row, you notice themes okay in, in what they say so um anyway all right so yeah but it was still funny it's you know some episodes are funnier than others but some of them are just amazing okay fantastic